podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 56 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast. Where this week, I'm delighted to say we've been joined by Howard's Way director and producer, Rob Sloman. Rob, how are you, mate? I'm good, thank you very much. A bit warm, but good, yeah. Very much so. It's very, very warm in, uh, in, oh, up in Liverpool at the moment as well, but I'm sure not quite as warm as, as down south, as, as we've just been saying. Um, and it's great for you to come on as well, Rob. We, you know, we, we spoke to you going back to when the film came out last last mm. year. We had, we had a, a brief chat, etc., on, on Twitter and um we we've we've left it and left it because I think it's it's really important that the film gets pushed all the time because it's it's a film one for all ages but but a film that that lives on but the the first question for us really is how did it all come about how did you how and why did you decide to to go back and and cover the 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 glory years of of Everton football club i think i think um uh, it had been an idea for for a while. I, I don't know, but I, I think that uh, as a kid, the, the sort of prime years, I, I was sport obsessed uh, as a boy. I was, you know, I, it didn't. I mean, football, cricket, golf, tennis. Uh, they were they were things that I would watch hours and hours of. You know, um, I would lived on a farm in Cornwall. I was a bit isolated from from uh, from my school friends, so I had to get on with it a lot. And and get on with it either meant going out in the in the garden or uh take the dog for a walk we had quite a bit of land which was which was was nice but i never really saw anyone so you'd watch the telly uh or you just play on your own um and that era between sort of uh eight years old and then when you sort of leave finished school 16 17 18 um that those were the the sort of key that's when i really uh watched everything uh sports wise that's when you form all your you know, you, you get your heroes and um, and obviously, I supported Everton from about the age of seven. So about seven, 76 is, is the sort of first things I remember about Everton. I don't really know why I started supporting them. There wasn't a moment. There wasn't a game. Uh, Latchford was my first hero. Um, and I went through the, the sort of late 70s where we were unlucky a couple of times. In 77, it's in the film. Um, 80, we're unlucky again. And then suddenly, at that perfect age, 13, 14, 15, Suddenly, pretty much out of nowhere, we became the best side in the country, maybe the best side in Europe. Um, and I can still remember with clarity those days, perhaps better than any other point in my life, because I think when you are a kid and you don't have so many things to, to worry about, to deal with, um, whether it's your job or whether it's a girlfriend or then you get married, all these things, they, they take up your time in a, in a much different way. And, and I remember things from being eight, nine, 10, all the way through to 16, much better than, than I do now. I was talking with a bunch of pals that I can still name all the grand national winners from about the mid seventies up to about 90 something or other. Um, and then it just becomes a bit hazy. Same really with the FA Cup, you know, everything that is, is crystal clear are the, are the matches that I grew up watching, you know, the 77 final all the way through to the, to the late eighties. That's, those are the ones that I remember. So, that era, the Everton mid '80s era, is is still it's still really uh, a strong memory for me. And one of the things that had really cheesed me off 
And I worked for Sky and I still feel quite associated with Sky in the sense that it was my first TV, first TV company that I worked for. And I made a lot of good friends there and I still got some really good friends there. Um, but since the inception of Sky and the Premier League, there is a tendency to think that, that football didn't really matter before then. Unless it, it depends on what the narrative is, you know. I mean, when I remember watching something uh, a few years ago now, but they talked about Bruges being in the in the Champions League, and and somebody said, "Oh, that's Bruges' first goal in the Champions League." And I thought that's nonsense. They were in the final in '78, I think it was. Was it '78? They lost to Liverpool, didn't they? So I think it you was, know, yeah. these things, these things just get played for whatever that people want the narrative to be. And, and I get a bit tired of all-time records that started in 92. It, it's just not the case. You know, football was was hugely entertaining in the 70s and 80s. It just was. And, um, and for some of us, it, it was a bit more real because the pitches weren't always great. Everything's a bit perfect now. Um, and... Uh, so, I, I, obviously, Everton haven't been great for a long time. And, I mean, apart from 95 when we popped up with the FA Cup, we've done nothing, really. We've, we've hung on to the Premier League uh, by our fingernails a couple of times, but, but done nothing. But that doesn't mean to say that the 84-5 team were anything other than, than brilliant. And, and I struggle when people start talking about the, the greatest teams of all time as if it's the Premier League, apart from when they want to mention Liverpool in the, in the <laughs> early 80s because they seem to get a free pass, you know, and and then they talk about double winners and they talk about Forest obviously, because they won the European Cup twice. Um, and even Aston Villa occasionally get a mention because they won the European Cup. And that Everton team didn't have the chance to win the European Cup in an era when English clubs totally dominated that competition. So uh, most people talk about United in the, in the Premier League you know, ridiculously, people are saying, is this Liverpool team the best English club side ever? Really? You know, so, you know, forget Manchester City and United. But they're not, I don't think they're better than the Liverpool team of the of the late 70s, early 80s, to be honest. You know, I think they're a great team. But the greatest ever after one season, well, listen, the, the, the book is a bit broader than that. And, um, and I got tired of that, really. This is a long answer to a short question, isn't it? I... <laughs> I got tired of it and uh, I'd had this idea which was called the team that time forgot um, and I I pitched it to a few people without any real conviction because um, you get used to people thinking that the that football these days is about six or four or six clubs or the European giants etc and, and I was sort of resigned to an answer before um, I'd even asked the question but then um, I believe in miracles happened um, when I saw that film, I thought there's so much um, similar in character to, to what I thought the, that we could do with Everton. It's a fantastic story, obviously. But the film is really about Clough. That film's really about Clough. He is the guy that carries that film with his stories, with the people's, you know, the players' recollections. It's a funny movie. There's lots of them. The soundtrack is awesome. But I just thought, okay, I, I think if, if miracles can work, then, then maybe Everton can work. And I went to a meeting with Universal. I'd done a rugby film with them a year or so earlier. And I went to a meeting with them, not about Everton at all. It was about something completely different. But the guy I was talking to said that he thought a film about Everton would work. And it was the first time that anybody had said that. He thought a film about Everton in the 80s would work. 
he didn't need to say any more really i went home that night and, and fleshed out the idea um got a budget together um went back to him he was convinced it would work and it and it really went from there and although universal then pulled out and left me with no investors um by that stage i'd talked to all the players um i'd gone and met most of the players i'd even shot i'd done the goodison park shoot um i wanted to see for myself what we could get um and what it would feel like and how the players would be etc and i knew we had a film at that point and so even though universal dropped out i felt like i knew that there was a good film and it was about convincing people who had a bit of money to to uh, to back it really that was a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's one of those films from 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 my side. Obviously, it's a film about about our football club, so it's always going to um, rank really highly in terms of you know being so you know really emotive. And we we look back and you know you get I get goosebumps watching it and watching the footage and there's so many that I I speak to people. I mean, the three of us, yet we were born at the time, but we, we were very very young. That don't remember th- those years. Uh, at all, I speak to people who were Everton fans at the time who were going the game, and they 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 couldn't get over the the different angles that they were seeing of certain goals from certain games. The United five 0 was one, but that I speak to somebody that I work with, and he said, you know, seeing that from various angles, and obviously you see you see the uh, the Gladys Street go up as well, and uh, was it the Sunderland game, and, and it's just it's it's clips like that that really, really get under your skin and, and, and get to you. Now, speaking to, to, to Pete last night, uh, we've all sort of re-watched it, obviously, before, before today, because it's a film that we can watch over and over again and never, ever tire of seeing it. And I'll, I'll let Pete, Pete explain and, and let, tell us about what happened when his, his, his missus watched it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had it on with, uh, yeah, with the missus next to me and as, obviously they got toward the end of the film um, there's some pretty emotional moments and she turned to me mm. and she said, what on earth have you made me watch here? She was absolutely <laughs> streaming, crying. Oh, really? Yeah, but I, but I, I, think cause the, the, I think the whole film gets you in touch, not just with the club and what was achieved at that time, but I think from the start of the film, you really single out what it was like to be in Liverpool at that time in the country. You know, the influx of drugs, the sort of the managed decline of the city, mm. the approach to the government. Because, um, you know, like a lot of people from Liverpool, I've got a lot of family who are, um, you know, who are Reds. And they often joke to me and say, look, if, if Liverpool win a trophy, would you would you watch the bus come in? And I'm like, I oh, know, I think I might be busy that day. Mm. But in the 80s, that's what it was like, because there was mm. a weird unity. There was a rivalry between yeah. Liverpool, but there was a real unity of what it meant to be from the city and I thought you really 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 captured that in the film so I think the, the more you watch it the more you really get drawn into this that you know this is how much of a big deal it was you know these achievements it was you know against the odds in so many ways and brought people together I think in so many ways. I think for me for that was the because I come from Cornwall because the Everton in the mid 80s was very much a, a radio experience for me really radio match of the day, uh, very little live, because obviously there wasn't very, very much live football at all in those days. So it, it was um, a relationship with my radio, really. So when it came to sort of trying to uh, tell the story of the of the city, that's where I was keenest to, to get fans involved. And um, I don't know, you, you guys maybe know Dave Feely, maybe you don't, maybe you know Keith Mullin. 
Um, but but I'd been had I'd I'd been across Twitter for a while, even before I thought that the film might happen. Just trying to find, just trying to to see which Evertonians seemed to have a, a grasp of what it was about. I, it's very difficult to describe, really. I knew what I was looking for without being able to put it into words, but I wanted authenticity. And uh, and and Dave Feely in particular, I remember thinking he was very polite. He replied to every single message he got. You know, and I, I always remember thinking that my mum would have liked that. You know, she'd have liked somebody that, you know, regardless of whether, you know, he thought the message were, had... Because most people, they read a message particularly a blue tick, you get hundreds of messages and you're not going to reply, you know, and, and he's not a blue tick, but he does get a lot of, because he's on there all the time, a lot of people engage with him and he replies to everybody, you know, even somebody having a go at him, you know, he'll reply to it, you know, and, and, and I thought, well, clearly he knows his stuff. I didn't, he used to write in a way he doesn't write on there anymore, but it was quite difficult to fathom. But, uh, but I got talking to him about cricket and, uh, and then I saw him at the West Ham, West Ham FA Cup game when we lost on penalties. And, and I saw him there and I went over and found him and said, look, you know, it's, it's a mile off, but I'm going to make a film about Everton. And if I do make that film, I, I would like to come and talk to you about it. And he was like, yeah, all right, whatever. Because um, I don't think he thought I would come back to him. Um, but when, when we did get the interest from Universal and, and I thought, OK, it's going to happen, I, I phoned him up. I got his number. I phoned him up and said, I'm coming up to Liverpool. I want to meet you. Um, and there are some key things that I need to, to understand. And so you can look at you can look at um, all the stuff on on Getty. You can look at ITN News. You can see all that. But you have to have somebody that really felt it to be able to deliver that message with with that that, that sort of authentic feel. And so when Dave then introduced me to Keith, who was obviously going to help me with the music, you know, to have both of them that that came up at that time, and, and Keith came out to to no employment. You know, as he Keith always says. The 80s didn't start in 1980. They started in the late 70s, you know, and and, he, and he's right because those really hard times were already starting on Merseyside and he came out and couldn't get a job, you know, and Dave came out and had no chance of a job. And that's what it was, you know, and Dave came out into a world of drugs, you know, when heroin had flooded the city and he unfortunately was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and so that was his experience of it. And I couldn't relate to that. I'm on a farm in Cornwall, you know, my my life was was pretty much blissful you know I, I didn't really you know i didn't have a city to go out in i couldn't go to everton uh games etc but there were no none of the complexities none of the hardships that, that other people knew about so so the music that keith was bringing had to feel real to the people that were going out and uh and listening to music at that time who had very little that, that in their lives that was positive you know and those two gave me that, that um and obviously you know i was always going to go and speak to derek hatton and i saw the two tribes film which i'm sure you guys watched uh last year and i thought it was excellent and it was much it was always much more uh it was going to take a stronger political um view on on the on the city than than i was going to do i felt it was very very important and very relevant to the film um but it was still more of a celebration of that everton team my film but I, I did need, I thought, to, to get it right. So Derek Hatton had to be a part of it because he was a big blue. If he wasn't a blue, you know, I, I don't think he's in there. But because he is and because he had the relationship with the players, he became important. And uh, we did a screening down in, in London of the film uh, just before lockdown, end of February. And somebody got up, shouted out lots of various obscenities about Derek Hatton and stormed out of the theatre. So I was very aware that, um, that Derek 
did and does divide that city. But it, also, you can't ignore it. You know, Liverpool Council in the 80s was, you know, one of the, the strongest political councils uh, in the country. Um, and even down in Cornwall, we were very aware, I was very aware of who Derek Atten was. You know, so um, I felt like if I get Dave and I get Keith and they tell me what it's about, then I, with the news footage that I can get and listen to and, and the books that I was going to read and did read, then I, I think I can I can understand enough to be able to 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 put um, a reasonable amount in the film without without I think dominating um, uh, the Everton stuff. I think though, it, in terms of the political aspect of it. Um... I think it was really important, wasn't it? I, I think that as much as you don't, you, you don't want too much politics in there, at the time, it was yeah. pivotal to, to the city, wasn't it? Whether, whether people were red or blue, it was massive. And, and what football was, was giving people was that, that escape from normal life. I mean, we see the footage yeah. in the film of fans travelling down. Uh, yeah. Was it to the Milk Cup final? Yeah. On, on the, in, in lorries, sitting on couches with cans of beer. And, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And that, that, that's what it was all about. And people were saying that literally, you know, it was their escape. There was no jobs, but whether they, they begged, borrowed or stole, yeah. they were getting to, to the cup finals and they were getting down to Wembley to, to support their team. And that's what really comes out. And we, we were just saying before before the call started, Rob, about how when, you, when we talk to older fans now and fans who lived through those, you know, those successful years, we understand even more the frustration that they that we see now from their their point of view about how poorly the the team are performing and have performed yeah. not won the trophy since 1995 and now watching watching that film I'm as I say getting goosebumps and and getting really engrossed in the footage and the players and listening to them speak about how much of a team they they were and how you know they did it for the fans let's let, let's get it right and Neville Southall says doesn't he at one point it's it's not about the the players or the club, it's about the people of yeah. the city. And that's, yeah. it's, you know, even to, to this day, that's exactly how we feel about the club. Well, he makes an interesting point quite early on, doesn't he, Neville? He says you, you, you sort of, you need to be almost a, a scouser to, to play for Everton. Yeah. And, you, and, and even me as a, as a Cornishman, I knew what he meant by that. Mm. You know, that you want to see somebody who uh, will uh, literally run himself into the into the ground for that club because people can forgive a little lack of quality sometimes as long as you make up for it with effort um and um you know obviously you, ideally you'd marry both you'd have lots of class and and you work really hard and, and then you're, you're perfect aren't you but um but it was um i think neville i think all those players understood um what it was about and that's why they were such a such a strong team, but I don't think you get that that often where you get um, so many strong characters come together, but all have an understanding or seem to have an understanding of, of what was required. And, and the thing about Howard was that he brought into the squad, and listen, every manager will buy players that don't work. And the Magnificent Seven is an example of, of, of that. You know, five of those guys definitely didn't work. But, you know, when you start, when he got it right, when things started to blend, that the people that he brought in, you know, really added to that. I mean, Paul Bracewell is a fantastic character, and you only you only have to spend a little bit of time with him. He would he would have brought in there, although he was a quieter guy. Um, he had a ferocious will to win, and and Van den Howe, Well, you know, he again he says it in the film. You know, 
I'll play to win. He said, I'll play to win. You know, and uh, it, it was, you know, just he, he, Kendall got to the point where we wish we were now, where you just add one or two, you know, so you, you, you have that, you have that blend and you know it's strong and then you just add one or two more to it um, to strengthen it. I'm sure that's what Liverpool will do this year. I'm sure that's what the, the best teams try to do. You know, you don't have to go and get five or six players every summer as we've pretty much had to do for the last four or five years because the blend is already there and the characters that he brought in really worked well with those that were already there. And I think if you look at the demise, Everton sort of struggling thereafter, that if, if Colin struggled in one area, it was the, the, the type of people that he brought into the club. He brought good players in initially, maybe not good enough, but one or two of them just didn't gel in the way that that squad around 83 to 85, six really did gel. Yeah. And, and I know if it comes to you, Lee, um, I know your dad was very much obviously he was a massive he's a massive blue still, but at that particular time he was very ingrained in the club, wasn't he? Loved Everton. He, he remembers those sides. What are, what I'm I'm interested to hear, what, what are you what are your dad's thoughts on on obviously Howard's way and, and the side of the of the eighties? Yeah, very much so, Mike. Um you've just said a few things before, Rob, actually it resonate it would massively resonate with my dad. His hero was Bob Latchard as well. And then obviously went on to be uh, the team of the 80s. I mean, he, he got me, you know, I had no choice. I wasn't living in that house unless I supported Everton. And that was, that was, that was, the, he did that with me, my brother and everyone really. Yeah. Uh, um, I've imparted that onto my little girl as well. So poor girl's going to have to endure the next 20 years or whatever's coming. Um, no, but generally I thought, I thought it's brilliantly captured the film. It brilliantly captured that time. I, I bought the actual DVD for my dad for Christmas um, and I've watched it with him and and there's there's bits where you could just see him just like this is perfectly encapsulated the time um you know he just raved about kevin sheedy he was a left-footed yeah. player himself half decent standard um so he he said he, you know he, steven on one side sheedy on the other reedy in the middle he said it was just like a per like you've just said it there yourself almost like a perfect blend of characters and players mm. uh, and it, you know we forget back in those times as well you know substitutes weren't used were they unless mm. they had to be so mm. it, it was that just very much starting eleven. You see these squads now with twenty odd people. I mean, it's, you'd, you'd never have thought that uh, would have gone that way back in the day. But um, yeah. no, I think it's, it's it's brilliantly encapsulated the film. I thought it's beautifully edited as well. By the way, um, all the bits where you kind of go back, and then even the players like the, you know you've obviously all interviewed them separately. Then you've mm. edited edited them in as well. I think that was quite clever. Uh, I've recently watched the Maradona documentary. And that, that's a fantastic documentary. I don't know if you've seen that. And yeah, that's, that's brilliantly cool. edited as well because there's hundreds of hours of footage there that they've obviously used. Yeah. But yeah. you've used a similar, you know, you've edited it brilliantly by bringing it all together. And I, I think it, I think it's brilliant to watch. Uh, so you. compliment me definitely on that front. Um, but no, my dad, my, my dad absolutely loved it. And I, and I just think it's also quite sad because I look at him now and I just mm -hmm. think he's not as engaged with football now as, it, as he was when I was a kid. And I, and I don't know whether that is you know, a sad indictment of the modern game now, maybe. I don't know whether that's because football, like you said, has almost become too perfect. It's become a TV sport and not maybe, you know, people have said it's not really a working class sport anymore. These guys are driving around in Ferraris and not going to the game on the bus, you know what I mean? And, mm. and it's just like, I don't know, maybe it is a sad, a sad indictment of what the modern game is. And Sky have certainly played their part in that. You know, like you said, it drives me mad when they go on about records this of like you know you would think that football only started in the early 90s mm. um, and it is quite sad but um, 
I think it was a throwback for him. You know, it, for him watching that back and just kind of thinking, I was at a lot of those games. You know what I mean? And 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 I don't know, the emotion of it came back to him. I think, you know, if you think that in 19... It's not that long ago. I mean, it, it is, but it isn't. So 1984, they Everton play an FA Cup semi-final against Southampton and they don't have enough kit. So they, they don't have enough pairs of shorts for the, for the number of big fat backsides in, in the team. They don't have enough large shorts. I mean, that's, that's incredible. You know, one of the best teams in the country is like literally got 12 pairs of shorts. So they have to swap them around, you know. I mean, how is that possible? You know, so um, that was uh, that story there. I, I knew that story before I got to either of the players because I'd read it in uh, Simon Hart's book, Here We Go, which uh, um, I think is uh, it's a great book. If you, I'm sure you've all read it, but it's a, it's a, it's a quality book. And um, so when I, when I read that story, it, it helped me a lot because I knew that I was going to go to see these players and I'd be able to, to slice the results of their interviews together. So getting one player to tell the story, that's nice. But to get the two to, to be able to intercut the two really, really works really well. And also just the incredulity of, of, the, of the story itself, you know, an FA Cup semi-final and you don't have enough pairs of shorts. You know, that, that everybody is literally sprinting into the changing room and snatching the, that's Sunday league stuff, isn't it? You know, when, when you all, when the kit's in the middle and you're like, oh, geez, you know, and that, that's what I, that's what I love about it. The fact that, you know, that Reedy is upset with him and, and Ratcliffe has to say, oh yeah, my shorts are a bit tight. You know, it, it just, you cannot relate to that because it could never happen now. You know, they've got, I, Lord knows how many pairs of shorts they've got there or shirts or whatever, but they'd have a shirt for every weather. They'd have a shirt to throw away at the end. These players weren't, they weren't throwing their shirts away. You know, I think Neville used to take his own kit home and wash it himself. You know, wow. I think that's a trust issue, but he used to he used to literally take his own kit home. So um, it, it was it was it was thirty odd years ago, but it was a million years ago. If if you get that, things are so different now, and I and I and I do sound like an old man harking back for the for the days of his youth. But um, you know, the, the players now with the headphones on, uh, not engaging with anybody when they arrive at step. Obviously, not now because we're not there. But you know go back 12 months and you watch them getting off the coaches at the Champions League games or whatever you like, a lot of them will just bypass all the fans. They got they want nothing to do with it. They're not engaging. They're not engaging with each other, to be honest. You know, Graham Sharp told me a story of being in a restaurant in Liverpool uh, a few years ago. And one of the Liverpool players of that day, that era, came in, sat down on a table with his wife. Five minutes later, one of his teammates came in and they didn't even talk to each other. You know, they, they, they sort of nodded and then they went and sat at different tables. He said in, in the 80s, if one guy was in the restaurant and anybody else came in, it was like, right, get the chair, push the tables together, chairs around, wives and everybody. They all wanted, they wanted to chat and be together. They were a complete team. And, and I think the, the spirit that that then engenders, is, I, I, I think it says a lot about that team, that they, they all came for, for St. George's Hall, you know, pretty much all of them came back and literally it was like for them being at school for us, I guess, that you go back and you see your schoolmates and it's like no time has, there's been no time between those meetings at all. It, it just, you're straight back and you're chatting like it ever was. Um, and um, was football better than maybe the standard wasn't, but to me it had a, 
it had an edge to it. It was there were more characters. You just had a lot more characters, which enable you to make a film like this. I doubt that you will ever be able. It's like a, a buddy movie, isn't it? They're all buddies, really, and telling stories about each other. And I don't think you'll be able to do that with football from now. I don't think you'll be able to make a I Believe in Miracles, one, because an outsider won't come and win the European Cup, but but two, Champions League, but two, because you just won't uh, have that tightness between between the squad. A lot of them, I'm probably they're probably thinking about their next move a lot of the time, even if they're a successful club, the agent will be saying, look, in 18 months' time, we can be here or there or whatever. And it wasn't like that then. They were mates. Was, I think it was a great time. I think, I think the, the togetherness of the, of the side, even to this day, obviously, when the film was being made, you could still see it, couldn't you? You, you, you say that when, obviously, you had the St. George's Hall uh, uh, screening and they all come back together and, you know, it's like they pick up where they left off all those years ago and I'm sh- some of them are still great mates now and, and that really comes across, you know, you look at the characters in that side, you know, all difference, obviously, never South all fa- fairly quiet, uh, Peter Reed certainly not, you know, the, the likes of Alan Harper, Kevin Richardson, we, we talk about substitutes and yet they, they, they weren't used the way they use nowadays, as, as Lee says, but they were such an integral part yeah. to that side and to that squad. It was Alan Harper played every position bar number one in goal pretty much. He, he reeled off yeah. his shirt numbers because that's the way that he was. Richardson, exactly the same. And I think if you look at the makeup of that of that side and, and why they were so successful, it's it's having those those uh, meals that like, you were Chinese with, with Howard Kendall yeah. and all players sitting there and earn the grievances. No, no one taking it personally, but if someone had the grievance to air, they could quite happily sit down as a side. They could talk through it, back to training the next day, no problems, away we go. And that was, for me, the really important point of that side was the fact that they were so open, honest, but also yeah. They, they, yeah. they played for each other. They protected each other. Go back to Adrian Heath uh, when, when, he get, when he gets injured. Look what Peter Reid does. Again, uh, on on, on uh, Brian Marwood and for every game after yeah, that as well, you know Howard yeah. Kendall was very keen, wasn't he, on on saying to the side, listen, when you when you go across that white line, you protect each other and you look after each other as well. Yeah, do you know one one of the uh, one of the the um, cool things of of doing the film? I, I I got a bit sort of fed up of having to relay information to all of them individually, and I, so I set up a WhatsApp group and uh, and added them all. You know, just chuck them all in there. I thought, okay, so it's a one-stop shop. If I've got anything to say, they can all read it. But after, you know, so I thought, will they, will they bother with it? I, I don't know. Some of them are obviously keener on social media than others. So I set up the group, and then about about an hour or two after I'd set it up, I noticed that they started uh, jibbing each other. You know, they were they were giving each other grief, um, and I thought, well, that's wonderful. You know, and and I saw it mentioned in a. Uh, and in an interview, I think Gary um, Stevens, bless him, who's having such a tough time with his uh, little boy Jack. Um, Gary'd done an interview, uh, and he just said that he really enjoyed the WhatsApp group because it was an opportunity to to talk to to everyone. And and straight away, the likes of Andy Gray were were, were chatting on there, and uh, Alan Harper is a real character. You know, if people might think that. Alan, because he wasn't part of the 11, if, if you like, wouldn't necessarily be a big character in that group, but that would be wrong. He's a huge character in that group, very funny guy, um, whereas Kevin Richardson is very quiet. So Kevin's on that WhatsApp group, but I don't think he's ever replied to anything. But, um, but you know, the, it, was, it was lovely to have that group and just be able to, to sort of go down there and say, right, 
So when it, when I was organising St George's Hall and and getting them there, there wherever they were going to stay uh, the night before and all this sort of stuff, and they were like, "Where are we going afterwards?" And I would just I just give them the the detail that they needed, and you know I could see that they'd all read it, and I thought, okay, well if they got a problem, they'll they'll let me know, and and that was one of the fun things because if you then I think about me being a sort of 14, 15 year old when Everton were the best team in Europe, and these guys were heroes, never in the same way that that that. Bob Latchford was because I don't I think you only me anyway I only have one real hero in a sport and um and, and Latchford will always be that guy um but they were you know stars to me they were they were so important in my in my life and then and it was just quite cool to have them all in a little whatsapp group I thought that was that was quite tidy to, to be able to liaise with them for that period of time still got the group but obviously there's nothing to say now unless I want I just want to go on there and say hey everybody all right I, just, I don't think I'm going to do that <laughs> Feel free to put on there, Rob, that you're on the podcast today, just so you can all have a, have a little listen, by, by all means. And drop our numbers in there as well. <laughs> I would, listen, I will, I'll be plugging it on the, um, on the Howard's Way page and everything, so we'll, we'll give it a, a proper blast. But well, no, well, but again, though it's it's just it's just a sign of of a, a great side from those days, isn't it? The fact that, like you said already, they could just pick up where you left off. Um, mm. And one thing, one story from the the film that I love was 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 the one of the quiet men of the squad, Neville Southall. You know, when when he hides Alan Harper's bed, yeah. and yeah. Alan Harper comes comes back to the to the hotel room, he's, he's a bit a bit had a few a few drinks, as we know, yeah. Big Net doesn't drink. Likes his yeah. likes his cups of tea and, and that's that and and Nev in the end just locks him in the wardrobe overnight and it's just it's just they're, they're the kind of things that nowadays just wouldn't be it just it just wouldn't happen you know well when I first, um, when I first knew I'd got that story so Alan told me that story and and I still hadn't interviewed Neville so it was quite cool to have that story and then go and speak to Neville about it and um one or two of the people said you can't put that in and I said why can't I put that in it's the eighties it's not now it's not not like it's not bullying, is it? He's not put somebody in a cupboard now. It was different then, and uh, and, and the response, you know, when when we sat down there, we went the very first time we showed the film anywhere was uh, the Liverpool Film Festival. We showed it in the Odeon in the in the city centre, and we don't know. I was there with my editor that night, and um, and so we know where we think people will laugh, um, and they laughed earlier at Neville talking about driving into the city, and you know they set the city on fire for me. Um, but but so when you when they laugh there and you know that you've got something like the the cupboard story to come and the tight shorts and and a couple of people said to me people won't like that story you're not going to you know they'll be upset by that story I, I wasn't sure that they would be and and so that story happens in the film and you know there was masses of laughter around me and, and I just thought fabulous I'm glad I didn't listen to anyone because I thought it was funny as well so so sometimes you. Other times you might have listened to to people saying I wouldn't put that story in, but that was that was never in danger of not going in that one. We, we, I've got I've got to ask Rob. Obviously, you you say how, how it was received there in terms of obviously the, the humour aspect, and we've discussed in, in terms of the political side, and uh, obviously the, the 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 club brought the uh, the city together in a way successful times for Everton and Liverpool. Were you surprised with the? Uh, accolades and the acknowledgements that the film got from people outside of Everton, if you like, and outside of the city of Liverpool, because a lot of people who had nothing to do with with the club at all rave about the film, don't they? Yeah, that's that's a, that's quite a tough one for me to answer, really. But I, I um, because you make the film, and it's weird because I'm sat there, I'm sat here in, in quite a small little office, um, uh, which sort of is just outside of our house here. 
and um and i this time last year i would have been in here furiously and so and i loved it I'm, I'm not saying it was it was hard work it was long hours but it was never hard work because i was enjoying it but i'd be in here until sort of three or four in the morning doing stuff because we've got two young kids so you know it was it, it was sort of important to give them as much time as i could but but i just wanted to be back in here uh, um, making the film and then i would meet up with my editor who would sort of finesse everything for me and um we think we've made a, a decent film but in the you know i kept thinking i'm an everton fan so I, I i was making it for the core everton support if if you like and i if i got if i got goosebumps watching a little bit of it with the music added on i thought well i'm pretty sure that most people will and then he's an aussie who has no football allegiance whatsoever so if he's really like it, he's a, just a funny guy. He's, so we, we've worked together for ages. His name's Mike Brook, and we work on a lot of stuff. Similar sense of humour. He's very silly. He has a sort of very silly side to him. So he will actively push to put funny stuff in, in films. So, you know, within reason, I knew that if we could pack it full of, of fun stories that, that are funny regardless of whether you support Everton or not, then, then you know, there would be parts of the movie that, that people would, would like. Um, whether I knew it was going to be, I, I wasn't, it was only after two or three showings up in Liverpool that I was really confident that, that a lot of people liked it. Um, because by then social media is quite busy and people are, are making comments on social media. And I, I didn't really, I still haven't really, um, found anything negative said about it. And you're right. You know, there were people that I haven't got an association with Everton saying some nice stuff uh, uh, about the film. Um, it's a it's a tough one for me, um, Michael, because I um, I looked at initially because we ended up investing. Me and the wife uh, were were half of the investment, um, and when we looked at whether we would do it or not, because somebody dropped out, we were like, okay, we're a long way down the road here. Um, you you suddenly go from thinking, is it a good movie? To will it sell? You know, will it, will it make money? And, and I looked at the, and obviously I'm having to convince my wife really, because I just want to do it. <laughs> I just want to say that, you know, listen, we've got to go for this. Um, I've told all the players, so it'd be really embarrassing to have to go back to them and say, we're not doing it after all. Done a bit of the interviews. I'm telling you it's a good film. But more than that, I looked at it and so the internet, let's say the global fan base of Everton is 2 million something. You know, on Twitter alone, it's got 1.2 million. So let's just say that I say, right, half of that, let's take out, Half of that two million has got no interest in the film whatsoever. I, I haven't really got an allegiance to Everton, just follow the club, aren't really aware of it. So then you're playing with a million. Let's say half that again and say that uh, 500,000 are the wrong age group. You know, the kids coming through who wouldn't have, wouldn't have seen that team, don't really care about it. So then I need, I maybe need 10% of the rest of that half a million to, 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 to want to see the film, to buy the film, whatever. And, and we're in a position where you know, we can maybe scrape our money back because no one was ever going to get rich making this film. And, and that was never my intention and knew that wouldn't be the case. No one will make a documentary like this uh, and be off to the Bahamas for six weeks. It's never going to happen. Well, you know, I'm, I don't think so anyway. And so I knew it was just a case of if we do it, can we make enough money back so that it, you know, it's been worth it. And for me, the the response and the reviews and, and if you say accolades, but but the positivity has been brilliant and I've loved it. In my profession, I'll never do a job which meant as much to me as doing one about my football team because I've loved Everton for 40 years. So it was, it was so important to, to get it right. 
or to feel that it was right for 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 the majority of the Everton support. You know, it, it, I mean, it, it really mattered. Some people would think it didn't matter as much as I felt it mattered, but I, I really felt like if I mess it up, if I cock it up, no one can ever do this film again because I've covered that era. And who's going to back it? They say, well, no one bought it. Well, and then someone could say, well, that's because it was crap. So, you know, but that doesn't, that's not going to resonate. So, so I had to, I had to get a decent film out there and it really mattered to me. And I'm chuffed a bit that the response has been so positive. Um, it would be nice if I knew where, you know, we could find another 50, 60,000 Everton fans that haven't seen it that I figured would want to see it. You know, Everton's a huge club with a massive fan base and we're trying our best to sort of reach out to everybody, but we didn't really have a marketing budget. So we've tried on things like this, you know, um, and, and as much as we can on social media, and we've pushed to get to, to the people like Gary Lineker, who wasn't in the film, but would know everybody and, um, and, and Rooney, we made sure that, that Wayne Rooney could see it. And those people that have a bit of influence that could, you know, watch it and say, you should watch this. It's good. You don't have to be an Everton fan to watch it. So um, it's been brilliant. The responses have been brilliant. I've had some lovely kind stuff um, said to me. And, you know, the review, Brian Viner did a fabulous review uh, in the mail. And um, Simon Hart wrote a lovely one. Um, and there's been there's some, been some lovely stuff. Um, my missus would be a bit more like, <laughs> you know, yeah, the reviews are nice, but what are the sales like? Um, and so it's that if I hadn't have been an investor, I could just sort of sit back and enjoy it and go, well, you know, it, it's as long as the quality was there, it doesn't really matter. But it, it sort of matters on both the scales. Um, and I want to the other investor, a guy called Phil Brown, he really is the one that made this happen, because if I hadn't have got him on board, then I wouldn't have had 50 percent. And once I'd got somebody prepared to put up half of it then it, it meant every conversation was a little bit different after that. So Phil was, was a big factor. Um, and obviously the, the message with the fact that, that um, Phil is underwriting um, the production costs means that um, we can now give 100% of the, of the monies to the People's Place, the mental health, health facility uh, at Everton in the community, which has been, which has been a, a real positive, I think, for uh, people outside of Everton to, to perhaps take an interest in the film because the message becomes slightly different then, doesn't it? Because we're helping um, with something that um, uh, in the future, maybe very soon, is going to be of immense value to, to the football club and the area around it. Because obviously at the end of this or whatever the end of, uh, of uh, the coronavirus is, a lot of people are going to need that facility. So um, success uh, of the film, it, it can be measured in very different ways. As a filmmaker, I'm chuffed a bit. I, that's, probably, that's probably the easiest answer. I, I yeah, think... I'll probably stay there. Sorry, mate. I was going to just, just to pick up on that. You know, obviously you've, not, you've made several pieces other, other than this, but, you know, when you come back to look at your body of work, you know, someday when you retire, um, you'll look back at this regardless of whether, you know, successful or not, what, what do we deem successful to be? Obviously, as an investor, you, you know, that, that, that plays a part, like you said, but you'll look back at your body of work and you'll probably like, smile and think, I'm so glad I actually made that. You know, it, it's, it, that's, that, that's what, how it came across to me. You must be immensely proud of what you've produced there. Yeah, I, I think the, the, you're, you're right. I, I, um, 
I was lucky. So when I was a kid, I had uh, Bob Latchford slash Everton. I had Viv Richards and I had Seve Ballesteros, and they were they were my heroes uh, beyond anything else. Um, so I liked Jimmy Connors at, at tennis. I I like Kirk Stevens at snooker. I had a favourite in every sport, but but Bob Latchford and Everton were there. Then Seve and, and Viv probably just below it because obviously a football club is is for life, you know. Whereas uh, Seve's was sort of ten or twelve years, Viv maybe a, a fraction longer. But but you know, I got lucky enough to to make some films with Seve, um, and and I thought at that point, well. If I never do anything else, then I'll have some amazing memories uh, playing golf with Seve, filming with Seve at St Andrews at Augusta. Just an absolute pleasure and a privilege, really, to, to do that. So to then wind up making uh, a film about Everton, it's almost off the charts to, to have done that as well. And, yeah, you're right, because um, Everton has been such a big part of my life from six years old. Um to, to, to know that the film ha, has worked, you know, quite well and that, that people like it and it's there for good now, you know, so, you know, whether it's via DVD or, you know, digital download, you've got it now. People have got it and it and it, it a bit like some of the books that I've got behind me now, you know, it'll always be there and if people want to have a look at that that era, then then they can do and, and it's easy. So it, it um, yeah, it'll always mean something to me. I was talking to my missus the other day and saying that, you know, if uh, if I did nothing else, Prior to, to doing Everton, I'd have thought, do you know what? I, I could have done more. I think there was uh, more in me to, to, to do. And I still think there is. I've got, you know, hopefully there's some projects coming up in the next few years, which will be really exciting. But now I've done Everton, I feel like there was a purpose. <laughs> I feel like there was a reason for, um, for, for being here and um, to get the chance to make the film um, and then uh, to get everybody involved, to have the music, to have Keith with his expertise and his and his nous with the with tracks like psychedelic furs and um and and fiction factory i know they weren't a liverpool band but they were popular in in liverpool as i like to point out to those that say they weren't a liverpool band um adrian he saw them play in liverpool but just some of the other tracks like the lotus eaters these are guys that that i potentially would have missed um i would have gone down a more overtly commercial looked at the the top 100 hits of the of, of 83 and 84 and 85 and so on and done it like that and Keith was very much like no 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 this this feels right for that and so on so he picked out those tracks gave them to me and then it was then it was brilliant because I could I could know that um, first picture of you was going to work here and, um, and 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 heaven was perfect for Bayern Munich and feels like heaven was was spot on for Rapid Vienna and, and so on and so forth so. You know, to have that opportunity to to have Keith on board, David on board, um, to, to to get all the players, to get to know the players was was good fun. And and, um, uh, and while it lasted, you know, I had an absolute blast. You know, being able to phone him up and, and check stuff, etc. But to come out, I think for me, the the best thing to come out of it is the relationship that I've got with um, Karina Duffy, who who uh, helps um, Everton in the community be the extraordinary charity that it is, and and, and Keith and, and Dave Feely, that's been brilliant for me. And I've been to so many more Everton games because of it, because, you know, I'm not just trekking up to go and watch it on my own now. I'm taking the family up to spend some time with Dave or Keith or, or whatever. And, you know, it, it's been worth it on, on many, many levels. And to know that that film's there for whatever is, is, is really nice, yeah.
I, I think just just going back to, to what we were saying about the um, obviously the community aspect and things like that. The the, the fact now that one obviously you you've now got this this sort of network of, of friends, you know, yeah. within Everton, you know, who you come up to see, which I think is that that's what the club is all about and what going the match is all about. And yeah. and for the film to have given you that it is is absolutely exceptional. For the, for the fact now that money uh, from sales of of uh, Howard's Way goes towards the, the people's places is what 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 a, a legacy almost that is of the, of the film you know and and again it ties in perfectly with what the club is all about agree, what the yeah. club was all about in the mid eighties and what we continue to be about even now you know we, we are a community focused club and the film not only portrays that but the end the end message of the film and the end goal of the, of the film has been to to be able to help provide what's going to be a fantastic facility. And a, and a really well used facility in in mm. the up and coming. No, yeah, in that in L four, that's um, that's just going to be of so much value to everybody there, isn't it? I mean that area. Well, most most definitely, and that's what obviously the, the club are trying to leave that that footprint, aren't they? Within within L mm. uh, obviously when we move exactly. to Bramley Moor, and and that's yeah. that, that's be a real a real pivotal part of the of the community. Uh, what what a what a, a will ask though be, before we, we we wrap things up, Rob is, do you think that looking at the side that we've got now, I know it's really hard to to obviously compare sides and eras and things like that, with having a manager like Carlo Ancelotti, what what are your thoughts on on the side of the boat? Can can we return to any kind of glory? Can, can we start to win trophies again? It's a real oh, it's a real tough question, I know, but what what are your thoughts on that? Um. Uh, do you spend a lot of time on Twitter? I spend a lot of time, lot too much time, uh, according to the wife, I think, on, on on Twitter, and and it's a strange mix, isn't it? The fan base of uh, of positivity and and realism and uh, and uh, abject negativity and pessimism, um, and I, I think I tend to be much more of the positive um, type. I, I, you know, I look at he's got a tough job if he's going to try and get us to the point where we're challenging um, for a league title in any time soon. But I look at his record and, and I think that that maybe we could be a force in the Cups in his time. And he's tactically very astute, on, uh, particularly on one-off games. Do you remember when Martinez came with Wigan to, to, to play Everton? I got on a plane before that game kicked off and I landed to just a barrage of messages, you know, uh, and that... Um, from from people that wouldn't normally message me unless we'd been humiliated, and um, <laughs> and I remember you know watching that game and thinking that Martinez had outwitted David Moyes that that day because I think everybody expected Everton to win that game you know beforehand, and um, and I'm not such, I'm not holding up Roberto Martinez as, as a tactical genius, but I, but but I think that there are coaches that have the ability to um, win games through their tactical aptitude and, and I think that Ancelotti if you look at what he did with Napoli against Liverpool for instance you know even what he did with us against Liverpool in in the uh, game just after um, we came out of uh, lockdown you know I, I look at him and, and I think I don't know that that we will be able to do the amount of deals that we would need to do to to get the squad the the not just the 11 but you know 15 16 17 that will be able to sustain any sort of challenge at the top, the very top of that league. And I don't think that we could do that within 
you know, two or three years. But um, but I think that he might be the sort of guy that he hasn't failed very often, has he? And this is a really tough job for him. And I don't know quite how um, the financial fair play will will roll out this summer. It feels like every summer for the last five or six years, we've said this is a massive summer and this is another one. But perhaps without the the room that we've had in the last uh, three or four years. So I'll be really interested to see what deals uh, they do this summer. Um, you know, I'm sure everybody's got their wish list, and 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 hopefully, because it's Ancelotti, hopefully that the the his wish list isn't too far off what we finish with. If that's the case, you know, let's say we get let's say we get three or four in, and they're players that he really wanted. Um, and obviously, I think we need to ship out quite a few for for that to happen. But if he does that, then I think he has he's got such a reputation that the players the players that come in will want to be here for him. You feel rather than Everton, because you know I don't think we're going to look for too many domestically. I could be wrong. Maybe maybe David Brooks or somebody like that. But but um, I don't. They're going to be here for him as much as anybody, and that's obviously what we're hoping. Because you don't finish twelfth and then just go and cherry pick Europe's best players, do you? So, um, I I think everybody's optimistic to a degree that that he can make a difference. It's how big a difference he can make, given that you look at Liverpool and Man City and think, well, they're clear of the pack. Sadly, in the red case, they are a really good team and that's not going to change for a bit. City, a fantastic side. Um, and United are going to build this summer. Chelsea are adding some real quality to their team, although they haven't done much with their defence, which I think is a bit of a shambles. So I do see opportunities with a lot of the other teams that we could, uh, if not catch them, compete with them. And that's, I think, what we would hope to do next year, to be able to compete home and away with those uh, top teams. You know, not be resigned to thinking, well, it's, you know, if we get a couple of draws uh, out of those six away games, that that's not bad. We should be going there and, and we're Everton, for goodness sake. We should be going there and and, and giving it a go. And um, I'm hopeful that we do a bit more of that next season. Whether we take a leap from 12th to top six, I don't know. But but I'd be I'd be cautiously positive about cups with Ancelotti and I think the League Cup might be a few sides missing in that or might be uh, some of the best sides missing in that one and I, I couldn't give a monkeys if we if we were to get to a final win a cup um, and they weren't in it, it won't mean anything to me I wouldn't give a monkeys so um, we just and one cup as with Howard's team you know one you need to win something to build the momentum to win anything else and uh you know, we're we're probably a long way from being a, a top three or four team, but you never know. Howard Kendall's team in in the November and December of '83 was a long way from being a title-winning team, and yet, eleven months later, it was it was the best team in the country. So, um, you never know. I'd like to think that we can bring in some quality because we've probably only got four or five that that uh, are guaranteed first team spots now, and everybody else. You could probably, if there was a good offer, let them go. It's not realistic to let everybody go because we need a squad. But um, I, I hope so. I, 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 I'm optimistic every summer, and I think this could be the time that we kick on. Um, but if we can't do it, my worry would be with if we can't do it now with Carlo, um, and it doesn't work out. What the heck do we do after that? 
then then where do we go? So I think it's fingers crossed for for Carlo Ancelotti and and, and hope for the best. I, I mean, we we discussed it numerous times, and we, we are going to do a transfer special near the, the sort of the end of the window, uh, just before the start of the season as well, just to sort of pick up who we brought in, who's on the way out, etc. Who do you uh, think as a matter of interest? Where where do you three stand on on uh, on where we are and what we're going to be and, and the progress that we may or may not make? Pete, I let you jump in. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose we need a healthy dose of realism, don't we? But yeah, I think like uh, like you, Rob, I'd really hope next season we're at least competitive yeah. for the top six. Um, I, I think anything eighth or above represents progress, doesn't it? I think for for the club, and we've we've got to be realistic about the pace of things and also the scope of change. We've been talking yeah. so much on the podcast about you know three different managers in a short space of time, still having players left over from you know the, the Coleman era. Um, and, and the amount of work that needs to be done to reshape the squad. So I, th- I think the reality is, yeah, bar a, a romantic um, cup run or a cup win, it's probably going to be a slow incremental progress in the league, yeah. I think. Lee? Yeah, I'd echo those thoughts. I think, I think Rob said uh, absolutely bang on there. I think the key word for me, uh, I've said this on a, a previous pod, is, is patience. Yeah. But we all have to have patience. Six teams have won the Premier League since 2000 in 20 years. That tells you how hard it is. And Leicester, you could say Leicester was a fluke. It was a perfect yeah. storm. Liverpool obviously would have changed that. So, you know, it was five until Liverpool won it this year. So it's a hard, hard thing to do to win that Premier League. Klopp came in four years ago, inherited a, a reasonable Liverpool side, certainly not one of their best. And one of the things they've done is they've signed really well, haven't they, in the last few yeah. years? The likes of Mane, Salah. Yeah. You know, Mane and Salah, let's be honest, they weren't already world-class players. And they came into the side. You know, they sold, they got great money for Coutinho. When you look yeah. at it now, it looks in a fantastic deal. And they were able to sign quality on the back of that. So how we do in the transfer market over the next, not just this summer, but also the next couple of summers is massive. But we've got to give, you know, if, let's say we finish 10th or, you know, it's similar to where we did this. We have to almost, as fans, understand as long as we're building towards something and we can see that little incremental progress and we can see the squad building, we have to give Carlo that chance because I agree with you, Rob. I think if Carlo can't do this with a bit of backing, with the right signings, yeah. when are we ever really going to do it? Because he's arguing, I thought you, you, you captured Howard's character brilliantly in this with the footage and he's the last best manager we've had. Mm. We're not going to get anyone better than... Carlo Ancelotti at Everton Football Club in, in, in the near future I don't think so we, we really and it, I think Carlo used the words it's an evolution didn't he yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and, and I think that's a really key word he's almost he's almost trying to sort of you know pacify yeah, the fans yeah, yeah. calm down we're not going to go out there yeah. and sign you know like City did an Aguero a David yeah. Silva a Kevin De Bruyne yeah. you know FFP has scuppered that now you know, um, you know, we can't just go out there and throw money around um, like City did to build that squad. And look how long it took City. It still took City a while. Mm. Um, and they've only just got through in the European Cup. You know, so, I mean, look how much money they've spent. So um, yeah. it will it will take time. But as long as, look, as fans, as long as we can see a team we're proud of on the pitch and we can see the team performing at a certain level, I think what's really frustrated all of us the last few years, like you said, Mike, has been the management changes has been this players' square pegs, round holes. Yeah. Has been, you know, 
inverted commas, lack of effort from certain players, things like that. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's like I said from the start there with the point, the key word is patience and we have to have patience as a fan base. And if we can try and pick up a trophy, that will literally take a lot of pressure off um, and stop them lot across the park sticking the finger up at us as well. It's funny because I, I, I tweeted earlier on from, from our account about basically the fact that, you know, we, we celebrate beating Man United, you know, the odd time in, in 20 odd years. Uh, we, we celebrated the role with Liverpool and things like that. That, 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 that shouldn't be mm. what, we, what we're celebrating. Like, like you said, Rob, we're Everton Football Club, you know, we're, we're, we're a side who's been at the top of the game for many, many years. And, you know, as, as I said on the tweet, our motto was our standard. And it's, mm. it's very, very important that even in this day and age when we, we can argue that players, you know, are, are maybe a little bit uh, disassociated with fans, it's not the same as it was back, back in Howard, Kendall, Howard Kendall's days, etc. It's so important that the players that we do bring in, in any window, but this window especially, uh, they, they understand what the club's all about. And I'd sit them down and I'd show them Howard's way and I'd say, listen, this is Everton Football Club. This is what we do. You know, this is this is our, our past success. This is our greatest ever manager, our greatest ever side. I sit them down and make and make them watch it because yeah, fo- you know, football's changed. It's a different time. Like like you know, Lee said before, his dad's you know maybe come away a little bit now from from football for for a number of reasons. But it doesn't mean that we can't still believe that we can go on and win things. Of course, we yeah. can. We've got like Lee said, the best manager since Howard Kendall at yeah. Everton. Our hands are tied a bit with FFP, of course. But if we can't make it work, like you said, Rob, with, with, with Carlo Ancelotti, where, where do we then go? You know, and that's that, that's so true. But we've got to sign the right characters for our team and for our club. As much as they've got to have that, you know, the right technical ability, they've got to have the right attitude and the right mindset. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You know, and there's there's people who, who know more about this side of the game than we all do who, who spend days, weeks, months and, you know, looking at players and um, analysing everything. The fit has got to be absolutely perfect in those key positions that we need to improve. And it's, like you said, it's it's another massive summer, as we've been saying for, for many, 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 many summers. But we've got to get it right. And there's no reason why. There's no reason why we, we can't break sort of top eight, top seven next season. Absolutely not. You know, you, you saw sides this season, Sheffield United, you know, Leicester, again, yeah. push, yeah. pushing those top five and six places. It would be nice to think that we would be a half-decent team to watch as well. Some of my biggest problems this season has just been how slow everything was. And I know we don't have anybody going, you know, that, that we don't have anybody charging path through the midfield, you know, so that we, we just, it's just very, very slow. And, uh, and therefore, you know, there are, few games that you look at and think we were great to watch today and I you know Carlo's mantra may be to get the defense more I think he's already done it actually to, to make us look a little bit more solid to, defensively and, and get that but I would like to think that we could have a little bit more excitement um, as Everton fans uh, as well and uh, and hopefully a couple of the players or certainly one or two of the players that he brings in this summer might help with that. You know, guys that are, <laughs> tend to want to go forward, you know, a bit more direct. Um, I don't mean long ball direct. I mean guys that 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 that, that want to. If you look at if you look at that move for the um, 
in the in the Rapid Vienna game, the one that's at, towards the end of the film. There's some ISO, and and they do knock it around, and that's fine. But Paul Bracewell is forever looking to find a forward pass, you know, and there is always a means to an end, and they're knocking it around. And and Rapid Vienna weren't much of a, uh, an opposition, but but I want to be thrilled every now and again, and, and I think there's been a lack of that being an Everton fan for a while. Um, and it would be nice to slowly, and, and I think you're right, I don't think we could suddenly go from where we are now to being, you know, to, to walloping teams five. No, when was the last time we did that, by the way? But um, it, it would be nice to think that that we look, at, it's in 12 months' time that we can see that it's going in that direction, that we're trying to make gains um, and see a style that we're, that we're trying to play, because a lot of the time I don't even know what we're trying to do because um, it, it doesn't have that, you know the good thing about the the Everton team that the film was about is that people knew their role, um, and you know you, you can talk you can talk now about what Kevin Sheedy brought to the team and Trevor Stephen and Bracewell and Reed. That four, you you couldn't really have a better fit of a four. And Bracewell and Reed weren't prolific goal scorers, but they they didn't really have to be. So I'm not too worried if, but they did go forward. They did go forward with the ball. They drove forward. These were guys that hunted, these two hunted together. They took that team onto the front foot. We were always on the front foot with that team, you know. And and then you've got the quality uh, from Sheedy and Stephen. And, and you know, we, we had guys that, that uh, were ferociously brave and um, and had them, you know, whether you had Heath or Gray or Sharp or Latterly Lineker, you know, I just, and we had a rocket, the, the, the back four in those days, they were all, they were four of the quickest defenders in the league, all playing for the same team. You know, so I just, I, they were an exciting team to watch. Watch the whole of that. Well, you can't, but I've got the whole of that Sunderland game. I've got the whole of the Man United 5-0 game. You know, we create about 17, 18 decent chances in that Man United 5-0 game. It would be nice to think that 12 months, 24 months, we can see a team developing that wants to play in a much more aggressive, uh, Goodison Park way. You know, Everton should be a team, certainly at home and, and away at times as well. When you're playing some of the lesser teams, go get them, front foot, you know, take them on, be ag- be aggressive, be positive. And, and I would like to think that at some point we'll see signs of that developing. I think that team there, that, that you talk about that rap- Rapid Vienna uh, clip, that is a team there that's playing with a lot of swagger there, isn't it? Yeah, you know I mean? That's what they're playing with. They're, you know, they're doing little step overs. Everyone wants the ball. That's the key mm. bit as well. Everyone wants the ball. You know, you know. And Radcliffe says it brilliantly in the film. He said, "What a, you know, what a, what a time to play in football when you're winning football matches really? all the time." Yeah. You know, because nowadays, you know, the fans. You go to the game now. You've got to be a very brave footballer to get on the ball when thirty thousand fans are all yeah. over you if you're not playing yeah. well. You know, God bless yeah. Ross Barkley. I mean, he gets a lot of stick now. But Barkley was a was a player. You you talked about when was the last time we had a midfielder that ran with it. He probably was the last one that actually yeah. would run at players. You look like goalie scored away at Newcastle. You yeah. know, you want to get you said we want to get players that can get us off our off our seats as fans. Wally, you know, the one he scored at home with QPR off his left oh, foot. Yeah, you know, he just, yeah, yeah. yeah he took it, drove, bang. Yeah, no, I, we, I, we I, hounded that poor lad out the club. I know. Look, he had his frailties. Don't get me wrong. He wasn't the perfect player. And we know that. You know, he wasn't quite the same level as Rooney. He was in some parts of his game, by the way, I thought, but he wasn't in other parts of his game, decision-making especially. But, you know, I think we've been so deprived of success as a fan base. You know, we almost get on overly on top of these types of players. You know, Tom Davis is another one, but Tom's nowhere near Ross's level for me. Uh, 
And I, I like Tom, but I just you know you have to be honest. I don't think he is. So I do agree with you. I think if we can get a team that plays with that sort of freedom and swagger and 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 a team like I said, we can be proud of. I mean, there's a bit where I think it's a, one of the fans you interviewed in around the table sketch there, where he says that team brought our dignity back. Dignity, yeah. You know I mean, and 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 dignity is a great word there, isn't it? We want a team that we can be go. You know, Moyes Moyes touched on it a little bit. We didn't win anything, unfortunately, under Moyes, but. Some of the football we played at times can't be ignored, you know. Like, the, you know, there was a clip the other day when uh, Tim Cahill's last goal that he scored for us uh, mm. in a game that we were walking at the time. But the, like Pinar's little flick over the top there, the little things mm. like that. You know, when when was the last mm. time we saw a player do mm. something like that? You know, a little bit of magic mm. that goes, oh look at that, that's absolutely outstanding. And Pinar had that in his locker, didn't he? And mm. Arteta a little bit as well. But mm. um, yeah, it, 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 it's it is interesting. But I mean, look, hopefully, like you said, we'll sign a couple of players that will get us off our seats and. The leaf comes from winning, doesn't it? You know, I, I talked to somebody the other day and said Clive Woodward, when he took over the England rugby team, had to get over the hurdle of the mindset being that, that you know, we will lose to New Zealand and South Africa and we will lose when we go away to Wales and, and stuff like that. And he only achieved that by getting the team together and gradually, you don't do it all in one swoop, do you? But gradually got to the point where I think we went 15 games unbeaten against South Africa, New Zealand and, and Australia, you know, and... And that confidence only comes from from winning. Unfortunately, you have to start. It has to start somewhere, you know. And it, it can be a moment where Kevin Brock, or or even before that, with Birmingham and Stoke City away, and all that sort of stuff. But you have to create the team. Have to create that momentum, and then with a little bit, maybe you get the maybe you get a little bit of luck as well. But you know, unfortunately, you have to win a few games on the trot or not lose on the trot to to build that momentum, and then. I think confidence can take you a long, long way. Uh, like, like you said there, there, Rob, you know, it, it, it's been done before. The film shows that hopefully under Carlo Ancelotti, it yeah. can be done again. Let's let's hope that it can. But Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure. I can listen, I can talk to you all day. I really could about the film and the, the, the backstory and all that. Really, really, really enjoyed it. Really appreciate you coming on the, the show today. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate everyone, it. everyone listening today, we will be back in a couple of weeks as we get you through this this busy Everton summer. With another great guest, so we'll catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Podcast Network.